What's up everyone and welcome to episode 132 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. <coughs> oh god, that was a good start, wasn't it? I uh, hope everyone's well. Excuse my random cough that just came out of nowhere. There we go. I'm not going to re-record this. I'm going with the flow. Um, but yeah, hope everyone's well. Uh, as is becoming a bit of the norm at the moment with these episodes, just want to thank everyone for checking out last week's episode and all the feedback from the chat that I had with Ash from Venom Prison. Um, yeah, everyone just seemed to really like it and gave positive feedback, which is always great. Um, but if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Thank you for, for coming along and checking it out. Maybe stick around, check out some, some previous episodes, hit the subscribe button, give us a rating, give us a review. Always really fucking helps. Um, yeah, I had a quite a slight week this week, mainly work stuff as per usual, but um, I did go see Chew in Brighton on Saturday, which was really fun. Um, Chew were the headliners, their drummer was fucking insane, but the reason I bring this up because... Uh, I just want to say the main support was a band called Stiff Meds, who are from London, I believe. Um, and they were kind of a, a standout of the show for, for me personally. They kind of have that sort of fast core power violency vibe, um, which is really up my street. But I just kind of wanted to give them a shout out because probably people in the hardcore world have, uh, are aware of them. And I certainly was, but this was the first time of me seeing them. So just kind of want to get their name out there in the world a bit more people need to check them out so yeah stiff meds go check them out um also earlier today i'm recording this on uh, sunday you might be able to hear i'm watching the nfl in the background currently on packers uh raiders game and the packers have just scored another touchdown uh so it's now 42 15 don't know why I'm giving you a running commentary on this. But anyway, uh, earlier today I went and saw uh, The Joker, which is a film that's divided a lot of opinion. Um, but I've got to say I really enjoyed it. Um, it was quite a slow burner to start with, but the third act is phenomenal. Um, Joaquin Phoenix gives a brilliant performance throughout, but without giving sort of spoilers away, there's a shot towards the end of the film which I think is going to become one of those iconic sort of joker imagery uh stills so that alone was kind of worth it but yeah really cool film definitely go check it out if you're into comic book films it's kind of got a it doesn't really feel like a comic book film even though it is based around a comic book character um but yeah definitely go check that out um and finally just the week ahead got quite a busy one looking ahead uh on wednesday i'm gonna go see life of agony which is a band who kind of turned me on to the whole sort of melodic side of punk and hardcore with uh, Rivers Run Red. And then latterly, oh, the album name escapes me now. That's annoying. Um, but yeah, they're a band I've never had the opportunity to see, so I'm really looking forward to going to see that on, on Wednesday. Then on Saturday is another all day in Brighton. And to top off the week, I'm super excited. On Sunday, going to go see Orville Peck. Uh, if you're not aware of Orville Peck, he is a outlaw folk singer, I guess is the best way to describe him. Uh, he kind of plays like moody, atmospheric sort of folk. I can't think of anyone to compare him to right now. He's kind of got a bit of a Nick Cavey vibe, I guess. But he performs uh, with a mask and tassels, so you don't actually know the identity of this outlaw so it's a really cool concept his music is beautiful and amazing so i'm super super stoked on that i've been talking way too long so let's get into this week's guest uh this week i am joined by vocalist and guitarist of the band suggested friends faith taylor uh we discuss faith growing up sort of around choral music and comparing their family to kind of the von trapp family uh how they started off sort of touring and playing music solo before spreading their wings and uh, joining bands and eventually kind of forming suggested friends um, and how vital the sort of DIY uh, queer scene in the UK has been to them and how it's again kind of afforded them opportunities that maybe not have been there otherwise uh, so yeah please sit back enjoy the chat I have with Faith and I'll see you on the other side
joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is guitarist and vocalist of Suggestive Friends, uh, Faith Taylor. Faith, thank you very much for for taking some time out of your your Sunday afternoon to have a chat with me. Um, how is everything in in your world? It's nice and sunny here on the south coast. How's it for you on a, on this Sunday? <laughs> Yeah, hi. It's uh, it's also really sunny, um, and I wish I could spend more time outside. But I'm in the last two weeks of writing my PhD, so oh wow, yeah, like, yeah. I basically live like the art goblin. And, uh, <laughs> don't really, don't, I, I mean, I, I just went outside for like five minutes, and it was like, you know, I felt like old boy. That's where I'm at. But, um, so yeah, it's okay. It's nice weather, but I don't really see it. Yeah, no, I can imagine it must be pretty sort of head head in the books kind of time for you at the moment then yeah yeah it's a classic situation of leaving everything very late <laughs> well well I will, I will talk about your phd a little bit later but as i said before we kind of got into it the show is called justin insight i like to start at the very beginnings at your origins so to say faith so what kind of got you into alternative music where was your sort of jumping off point yeah okay so I, I grew up like in um near Ipswich right. and I uh I was like involved in I went to like I was in like a church choir for a long time. Okay. Um and so so I was like very much into, into I was kind of encouraged to be into singing. Yeah. But then I, I just kind of like I guess I got my first guitar like you know and kind of nylon string guitar when I was like ten or eleven and I I just I don't know I just think that I really ha- was drawn to the idea of being a musician from a very from a, and like a songwriter from like a very young age okay um and then i guess um i guess also like discover kind of discovering and thinking about myself as having a kind of queer sexuality definitely helped to to kind of solidify that introspection um around around music where you know i was like okay quite angsty anyway and needed to kind of go away with my guitar and write down my feelings that then became (laughs) kind of then became songs and it was one of the one of the key kind of it was probably like one of the most important parts of me like um yeah finding an outlet for my for my feelings i guess as as just just a just a super hypersensitive um child that really needed to have that kind of outlet for expression and it definitely yeah. made me feel better so yeah that's how it that's how it began for me so going off from as you said kind of being in a in a church choir to now playing in a sort of like a sort of a queer punk band like where where does the crossover come from like what bands were you listening to that kind of introduced you to that sort of world i guess like from a young, really young age, I I listened to quite a lot of like sixties and seventies music. I was I was absolutely like obsessed with the Beatles when, right. when I was fourteen. So I kind of I knew that being in a band was like like the best thing that you could kind of do. But I also you know, was really I was really into like um, like melody, like actually kind of not necessarily. I, I wasn't really. I, I really was. A, a, I was always very drawn to like pop melodies. Like, right. My dad listened to a lot of like Elton John and Beach Boys, and I really, I really liked that music as well. So I kind of knew that whatever band I wanted to be in was going to be something that was was still very like melodic, and still like involved like a lot of vocal kind of um, just like a, a yeah like melodic vocal 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 lines. But then yeah, I guess I started I started listening to. Probably when I was about 16, I started listening to things like PJ Harvey, and I kind of was there during the the, the, the emo, more kind of like emo moments. Like yeah. I, I remember listening to, I, I, I used to make mixtapes that had like PJ Harvey, but then also like The Used. <laughs> nice. So I guess that, that probably explains some of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in terms of kind of the, the, the sort of church choir sort, sort, sort of side of things of that, was that kind of something that you're, you were just kind of, I guess didn't know any different or was that something your family encouraged you to do or was it something you actively like seeked out when you were younger how did that kind of come about yeah so yeah I mean I I didn't have any say in the matter um, <laughs> I, I, um, I think that would have been pretty epic though if I'd been like if I just like <laughs> as a four-year-old or something being like that's it <laughs> I'm be a chorister no but I no I, I was encouraged I went to church for a week you know and it's very much um yeah, very much a kind of. I don't know. I have some theories about this. I think that my mom and my, my mom and dad, they're both really into singing. They love singing. Okay. 
they they still they're still in a choir now, and I think singing was such a big part of their lives. But they didn't have any. Um, they hadn't necessarily had any like formal. Um, music education okay. um, so they had that enthusiasm and I think they really wanted to open that, that door for me and my sister and like even though we weren't like actually weirdly like that religious <laughs> it was just kind of like the obvious for, for them I think it was like this this thing that they, they, that they thought would be good for me and my sister to get involved with and also like they were in the choir as well so it was kind of a, a thing it was like very like Von Trapp right <laughs> okay um, like we all went and sang in the church choir and it was almost kind of like a way to have like a weekly musical experience yeah. with each other. Um, so I'm really actually, you know, even though I'm not, you know, obviously there are some serious problems <laughs> with the, the Church of England and it wasn't actually <laughs> yeah. the best place to be in like discovering your sexuality. But, <laughs> yeah. but it was, I still am very, actually quite retrospectively grateful for, for having that, um, that kind of immersion. Yeah. It's- yeah, yeah. It's quite funny because in doing this show, I've I've managed to kind of speak to quite a few people that it seems to be that the church is weirdly a gateway for a lot of people. Like I've spoken to a few people that obviously have now kind of gone the complete other side and just don't have like complete hatred for religion and everything like that. But that was their starting point in some sense or form. So it's quite, it's weird how things are quite circular and like that's where people start, but then they kind of follow this rebellious path of going into punk is quite strange yeah well you know it's interesting because i remember when i was about eight seven maybe eight yeah like first kind of having this um having this kind of like awareness threshold where i realized that the music that i was singing was really was beautiful and i was and i and i, I didn't feel anymore like i was i kind of um I didn't feel like I was being forced to sing something I didn't understand. Like, I just had a connection to the melody, and it was a piece. It was a piece by Bruckner. Um, it's kind of a famous, a famous choral piece by right. Bruckner. Um, it, it, it was just like I just realised that I, what well, I guess I just realised the, the the power of melody to create emotions. Yeah. And I was very, very drawn to that, um, that, that the, the capability that I had that it could. A melody and the layerings of melodies could kind of circulate in this space and make everyone just feel so kind of um, reflective or serene or kind of like access something that was inside you somehow. I don't know. It just felt like it was. Uh, yeah, I guess it was quite spiritual. I uh, I don't believe in God. I never really. <laughs> I never really <laughs> believed. I never really believed in God or Jesus or anything. But I knew that what music was doing was giving someone a spiritual experience yeah and you mentioned obviously getting your your first guitar so obviously singing was the kind of the base point but where did the interest in guitar come from again was that something that you were just kind of encouraged to do or, or was that something that you seeked out i i don't think my, my i can't i play piano so i okay. know i play piano but and i but and, and so i guess we listened to like i said you know beach boys in the car a lot and i i guess i associated to be honest, again, I think this is where my queerness comes in because I associated like guitars with like masculinity, and I saw kind of masculinity as like quite liberate, like a liberatory kind of thing. Because at the time, I remember kind of as I got to puberty, thinking, "Oh my god, like gender, what's going on? Like people, <laughs> people, people are starting to expect me to to to, to do certain to have." certain characteristics that slot me into something mm. and i remember thinking that the guitar um was a kind of way of circumventing that somehow okay. and um you know and looking back on that i i think and of course now i <laughs> you know now and throughout my adolescence realized that actually you know femininity and guitars also goes together yeah. oh my God. <laughs> but at that time yeah i remember when i was like 10 or 11 thinking okay through my guitar, through my through this instrument, and through this kind of introspective process, I can kind of, I can kind of express and process this uh, middle ground. Right. That that help that helps me kind of escape these this quite dichotomous gender regime that I yeah. suddenly you're thrown into. Hmm. And then in terms of kind of you exploring sort of your own kind of musical sort of playings and and exploration, obviously singing in the choir is is one thing but when when did you kind of start to think about like writing songs for yourself like thinking about forming bands where where did that all kind of come into it uh 
yeah. So I guess when I was, uh, <clears throat> I was very, I was a very anxious child. Okay. Who, like always was fretting, and I always, and I had, you know, I had. Even if I hadn't been queer, I think I would definitely still have been one of those kids who was just. I was just so concerned all the time about everything, and I, I lost sleep all the time. I was like, so I had hypochondria. It was a, a nightmare, and so from, so definitely like writing music um, was 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 part of an outlet for that and kind of a healing process to be honest for that. And then and then I thought, okay, I need to. It would be great to like you know have a band and kind of live out that fantasy of um, of I guess the the band that I was looking to at that time, um, and you know. I guess the Beatles being one of them, and so I, I first started a band when I was actually. What am I talking about? It was it was it was really young. I was it was Abba Two. My first band. <laughs> my first band. My first band was when I was eight, and we were called Abba Two, and obviously we were an Abba tribute band. Brilliant. And we played um, we played um, instruments that we'd made out of plastic bottles and string. Um, <laughs> And there was actually a, a, a power struggle in that band that and it ended in in, a, in, a, in quite a uh, explosive way. But then, um, but then um, by the time I got to secondary school, I yeah, I made a a rock band with these um, two two boys I was friends with, and we used to practice in um, in this this guy's uh, garage, his parents' garage, and it really felt like I was living. I I, I think I was living out some kind of like American high school sitcom fantasy. Yeah, well. yeah. Like the idea that I like had access to this garage, and we were all playing, you know, like Voodoo Child, <laughs> <laughs> and then you know everybody wanted like a wah wah pedal, and it was it was like a yeah. I felt like I was part of a um, it was like part of a kind of yeah, cultural fantasy as much as a actual kind of a, a journey of self-expression. I don't, I yeah, definitely um, that was part of it. It was a kind of an identity formation. Process. Yeah, yeah. And then you said sort of growing up around Norwich and things, and obviously I can only go off the the music scene that I grew up with on along the south coast. But what was it? Was there much of a scene in in the area that you were growing up in? What what sort of like the early shows that you were going to? Were you sort of going to bigger shows? Did, when did you sort of discover like DIY? Like where did that all fit in? Yeah, I actually was super lucky. Like Ipswich was was popping actually. Okay. When I was well, I thought it was. I and I think I think it still got quite a strong DIY scene. But yeah, at the time when I was like sixteen, seventeen, and I started deciding, you know, I wanted to actually perform and seek out venues and seek out and try to kind of. And it was at the, it was at the, the, the my it was like MySpace um, yeah it was like a MySpace the MySpace time so um, there were these proliferating um, uh, promoter promoter people around and scenes forming and the aesthetics forming around those scenes and so yeah there was a, there was there were a couple of venues that were really significant in Ipswich Steamboat Tavern was one of them and then. Oh, there was a, there was this uh, pool club, the Premier Pool Club, which uh, yeah, I, I played in, in both of these venues several times with, and it was like weird because I was playing like solo kind of Regina Spectory, um, like kind of alternative folk music, yeah. piano, but then I'd be like on the same bill as um, I don't know, like Newtown Kings. Okay. <laughs> like I once played like um, and all, all like bills with. Um, Oh, there was like an amazing emo e band called TiVo. I used to be obsessed with them, and there was a band called um, oh, there was a band called Making Eyes at Elvis. Okay. They were like quite, quite a bit at that time, quite a big deal from Colchester, and they and yeah. So so there was still this there was th- still this kind of exciting um, scene where you fantasize about being on the same bill as like you know TiVo or something. Yeah, or yeah. <laughs> But I always thought that, that there were like these really cool people that I really <laughs> looked up to, and yeah, so it definitely gave me it definitely gave me a, a real sense of. Um, it, I don't think it would have, it was necessarily like termed the DIY scene at that time, but I definitely felt like I was part of something. Yeah, um, and I definitely knew that it was well. I mean, it was DIY, so it just yeah, it definitely. It, I felt comfortable already, kind of. In those in those kinds of environments, by the time I sort of re-entered it after after I went to university. Yeah. So did you kind of start off 
doing more solo stuff or did you start off in bands then go solo then come back to bands but where where did that kind of element kind of come into things yeah I def I was a solo artist for a really long time and I and I think that was because I I list I got really 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 into Ida Franco like, okay. like, like in, a, in a really obsessive way and that was for me that was it you know the the idea of being this kind of like lone musical wolf you know traveling around just me and my guitar and and um and I, I also got really just really into like acoustic um, finger picking. Like I, that was kind of my my style of right. playing for, for a very long time. Um, and partly I think that was because getting back into music. Um, so I wasn't I was before I went to university. I was in a band with um, some 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 guys from my school um, called Strip Jack Naked. Nice. And, and then, yeah, and so we made like an EP, and it was like. But then we just like instantly dispersed and went all of our own way. Okay. So we just went to university, and like that was it. <laughs> and so go kind of. And then at university, I thought that the easiest way for me to get back into performing was just to do it solo, and then that just kind of became my my thing. My yeah. Friend. Um. And so I I toured and played solo from yeah for like six six seven years in yeah. my 20s and then I realized that I was just like a bit miserable doing it on my own so much and it was really quite thankless because I was playing in a kind of genre uh, the type of sort of Appalachian inspired um you know anti-folky kind of inspired music that I was playing um in the folk scene in 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 the UK you know it's it's very it's it's quite straight it's quite um it doesn't have the same politics or energy or like kind of you know vibe as um, a punk or um, even like indie DIY scene. So yeah. I just really missed that kind of community and just thought, oh God, I I need to. I don't know. Like I really I missed having that feeling of belonging. I guess and yeah. that feeling of like a t kind of having a team um, around you musically. And so I, I really sought out, um, yeah, I, that's how kind of Suggested Friends came into existence it's, for me, was was um, just feeling like, I, yeah, I wanted to be part of a world where, you know, you, you have more people around you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do you, do you still do much of the solo stuff or is it very much now the focus has shifted to Suggested Friends? So, yeah, like I... I definitely my solo performing dropped off like when I when I started not completely but it it uh, it yeah waned as just friends waxed yeah but then um but then I I, I kept playing and I kind of I've always needed that that outlet for a, a sort of softer um a softer and perhaps well it's not so much that just friends is like rigid around a genre it's just that um. It, you know it is loud yeah <laughs> loud music. and so I, I i yeah i wanted to have more of an outlet for that kind of songwriting that i was doing and so actually my solo my solo music kind of got infused into my new a new band called athabasca right and, and through that band i've kind of like um kept that kind of songwriting going and it's, and it's actually really it's really great because um roxy who's also in the band is like this absolutely phenomenal songwriter and and i feel like we it's it's this it's this nice kind of musical space where both roxy and i now have like um i don't know like yeah more more members and more instruments through which to kind of build that 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 that, that form of songwriting yeah so it's, uh, i feel like i've kind of now got yeah uh, outlet for that solo stuff hmm. so. <laughs> and one thing that i always i find interesting with sort of people that, that go well not go solo but give being a solo artist a, a, a push so to say is that a lot of the time it is just them and as you say them and their guitar they get in a car and off they go sort of thing so for you like taking those first tentative steps were you just sort of like just dying to get out of there or were you absolutely breaking it sort of thing um, with solo stuff uh yeah it was it was a mix of things i think partly there was um there was a sense 
I think I, I really I really imbibe that sense that as an artist you need to be sort of like suffering and you need to be sort of like sacrificing something and I think that that was really mixed into a lot of like bad experiences I had in my early 20s right I was sort of like okay you know all of this terrible stuff has happened and I need to express my like but I'm not I, I didn't feel like I deserved to, to be around like multiple people so I just thought you know Faith you've got all these songs in your heart you need to just go out and kind of play play them and yeah it's weird actually when I think back to my early 20s I think wow I actually had a lot more confidence around my ability to play solo than I think I probably would now yeah um, and yeah I didn't I never felt nervous to, to perform solo um I just, I guess it was just really wrapped up for me in this um, identity about um, kind of, you know, being this, this lone, this lone troubadour almost. And I also felt a sense of kind of like, actually, you know, I am a, a, a woman, I'm a queer, I'm going to play this particular genre and I'm going to stick to it. Yeah. And I felt almost kind of like um, this belligerence around it. Like I had, to, I kind of had to stay true to that 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 genre and that practice hmm. because I felt like I was kind of I didn't feel like there was anyone else out I, could, I didn't know anyone else out there doing it and so I just felt like no you know Faith you have to do it <laughs> and, um, and, and I kind of clung to that until you know literally my mid-20s when I was like oh, actually this is a bit miserable I'm not <laughs> yeah. having actually a good time and I can have a better time yeah and before we kind of go deeper into suggested friends, obviously you've brought up a, a, a couple of times, obviously about your sort of queerness and your sort of uh, going through sort of like gender identities and, and things like that. And it kind of sounds to me, and obviously please correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it was something that you kind of picked up on and addressed at an early age. So was it something that you, I don't know, were quite confident at about at a young age or was it still something that you were working through and kind of, became a bit clearer as you were surrounding yourself with more people of a similar mind yeah um i was very aware that i was um yeah different uh like in that regard from pretty much like yeah 10 or 11 years okay old. and it was also but that was also partly because like i was just very for i was just like gender non-conforming kind of access like involuntarily okay and so i think at first i i realized I was also just I'm, I was just like a hypersensitive kid, so anyone's anyone's um, actions and words towards me like reverberated. For, okay. Practically still does. So so I, I I was getting kind of yeah I was like bullied for essentially bullied because yeah people were were confused as to what gender I was la 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 yeah. So, you know, I, I, it was more sort of, yeah, I guess it was more sort of a transphobic bullying than it was a homophobic bullying. Right. Um, and because I didn't even, you know, it's not like they were bullying me because I'd said I was gay or anything. It's just that they were like, what, you know, what are you kind of, that that sort of, that sort of bullying that we see so much affecting trans people now. But um, yeah, I, I kind of realized that I was queer because of that. And mm. then and then realized that yes my sexuality was also different and then I kind of I remember just thinking when I was like 11 I was like watching something on TV at home and I was like I kind of had that like penny drop moment where you're just like oh god this is gonna be such a drag yeah I can't be bothered to deal with this because yeah I mean I just I did I, I did live in a very very heteronormative world a very normative world it wasn't you know that's just what that's what my parents knew that's what everyone around me knew it wasn't there was no there were no queer people in my life so I think I did I did decide that I had to kind of I, I really had to embrace it mm. uh, for better or for worse like I had to kind of cling on to it and own it and make it myself and and then yeah I think that part part of the way of me doing that was through music yeah uh, yeah so it was kind of handy actually like realizing that kind of realizing that I was a musician at the same time as realizing I was queer I was like well you know little feelings <laughs> hasn't, hasn't seen this before <laughs> you know I, I really had that I really decided I was going to make it into my my thing yeah yeah and obviously like nowadays we're we're seeing a lot more kind of uh sort of I guess embracing of, of sort of people that are sort of 
non-binary, gender fluid and, and things like that and embracing their queerness and things like that. And I don't want to say because of your position in, in a band that you've got this platform, but at the same time, do you feel that because of your experience, maybe, as you say, being so, someone that kind of signified it at such a young age, that being able to speak about it, it from a confidence point of view is maybe helping people that maybe are struggling with their sort of sexuality and gender identity a bit more? Yeah, I think it's a tricky one for me because, like, we've had a talk, we've had chats about this recently, and I think that whenever you're a musician who also, you know, isn't a man or, or, uh, or not a white person, obviously I'm, I'm a white person, but... <laughs> I mean, like, if you if you're occupying some kind of identity or position that is in some way marginalised, then you sort of don't want that to to lead your art necessarily. Of course, you, yeah. Like, you don't want to be tokenised, but actually, like, you know, talking about this now, you sort of I, I sort of realise how infused, yes, like Quinnis is with my musical life. So it it seems and 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 yes, like three out of four members of the band are queer so you kind of think yeah you, you need to some you can't kind of shy away from how important that is to the to what we're doing um and in terms and, and in terms of being open about it and and um and writing about writing songs about it and um connecting with people that way it has been yeah a very big part of of um our existence and, and our touring existence really like we really couldn't have done half of the stuff that we've done without like queer DIY community yeah. on gigs basically <laughs> um, so we kind of we, we kind of owe a lot to those people and so for then for, for us to then sort of bury it because we want our music to to speak you know beyond that it just seems kind of like that's that's not the deal here. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a bit counterintuitive sort of thing. Yeah, and just... It's just... Yeah, we, we just couldn't exist in the way that we exist, like, in a mainstream music industry. Um, so we kind of... We, we Yeah, we owe our community and the, our other, other queer artists in our lives, like, that that acknowledgement. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Well, if we, we get on to Suggested Friends a bit more now then, so... You mentioned obviously kind of doing the solo projects for for a number of years and then kind of wanting to surround yourself with with people a bit more so how did you surround yourself where did you you guys all meet and and where did sort of suggested friends kind of come to be well i i think the first one of my gateways into um the scene was through um, Emma Cooper, who is the bassist in the band now. So right. I, met, I met Emma in like 2014, 2015, when she was making her first solo record. And um, through Emma, I kind of got to, I got to, got to know the world uh, more closely. And, yeah. um, and then, yeah, and then I met Christabel through going to a gig that she was playing with her old band Wolf Girl. And, um, and that's kind of how it, all formed or coalesced around around that, that that scene at that time, which was um, yeah, this kind of DIY indie 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 world in London that I hadn't even I'd, I'd felt like I yeah I hadn't really participated in it up until that point because I guess that's the thing about playing solo is that I I ended up feeling a bit kind of like I don't know not I, I, I sort of lurking in the corner is a kind of like uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm people, you know I, I don't fit in here and I'm not gonna try and I think again you know bad experiences I'd had in my 20s I, I I felt a bit not so much not not so much like embittered but certainly lacking in confidence about like meeting people and feeling like included and yeah it was really like this amazing amazing kind of door that opened for me um at that point and meeting meeting Christopher in particular and forming forming the band and realising actually how easy it was to just yeah. open your heart and be part of something. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of how, how that happened. And then in terms of kind of like musical stylings, like obviously the music you play obviously has kind of meaningful lyrics and meaningful undertones, but on the musical sense of it, it's quite upbeat and positive. So was that kind of always 
the agenda that you the music that you guys wanted to play or has it kind of evolved from that first meeting to what we hear now yeah definitely there's been a bit of an evolution i think as well one of the reasons that i i wanted to have a band like suggested friends was because i had basically my music had solo was like pretty pretty miserable I mean, <laughs> it was it was very it, it was sort of poignant it was kind of that kind of sentimental but but you know um also just i kind of slipped into a a style whereby i kind of you know it was all very confessional and kind of um a bit a bit intimate and i i wanted to have something that was just a little bit more off the cuff and like I, something that i could i could still express emotion in but ultimately like was was describing something different like perhaps a little bit tongue-in-cheek or kind of you know an aside or or trying to or trying to make trying to say something a little bit more i don't know not critical but a bit cheeky you know yeah <laughs> so, you know so so that was definitely something that 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 kind of um that kind of slightly acerbic quality was definitely present in the early in the early um, songwriting, and that was a bit kind of off the cuff. Then mm. um, I think that as we've progressed, um, generally in my life, like I've just become happier. So, so a lot of the songs are like you know about happier stuff, like Turtle Taxi is a very happy song. Yeah. Um, but um, but also, yeah, just this 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 sense of um, the more gigs that we played. I've got to sort of know more about the, the the ways that we work live and the 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 kind of um I guess the energy that we have live and the the enjoyment I get out of the band is so much more so much about like how we connect with audiences now that I I guess we started writing songs that were more geared towards like giving the audience a good time I guess okay <laughs> and in terms of kind of I guess the quote-unquote rise of the band in, in some aspects. Like, you've only been together, is it since 2015, 14? Uh, yeah, 2000, well, basically the end of 2015. Yeah, so it's, things have kind of happened quite, well, I guess from an outsider's perspective, things have happened quite rapidly. Does it feel like that for, for an insider that things have kind of been, I wouldn't say rushed, but that things have ticked along nicely at quite a, good, a decent pace than the the more that I, than you expected or have things yeah. kind of gone to plan in some sense yeah. you know it's really funny because we started this band I had no idea like I just wanted to be in a band and it was a case of there was no game plan I didn't even know that I didn't even I was sort of surprised every time I got a gig I was okay. like, yeah I was really like wow you know we're playing here we're playing. so we said so we said yes to everything essentially and we and in doing that we didn't really have any sense of what was we didn't really know what we were doing we just knew that things would take we were just getting more we were just, we were just getting asked to play yeah we played them when we were asked to play and so we were like okay well you know that's that's got to be good right that's got to correlate well I mean I hadn't I had never been in a band before but other than literally when I was like set last like 17 so um so we had no yeah we had no strategy we had no idea what we were doing we went through many many different bassists um and 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 then suddenly you know we we realized that we were in a position where we were going to record this album, the first album. And then, you know, we we just we had Oddbox who were interested in putting out. I think everything like that was always just this, this amazing, like, kind of surprise and felt really cool. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, we just have, we've never had any kind of sense of, um, of what, yeah, I feel like now they're, they're, perhaps we have more of an idea of what things, what kind of steps you can go down mm. to get to, to achieve something. For but but so much of it has honestly just been like really random. Like when we played End of the Road, like, I didn't even remember applying to. to <laughs> the and then we got, and then I got an email, <laughs> yeah, like um, saying that we're going to play it, and I was like, oh, well, I just I couldn't kind of get my head around it. I didn't really understand. But that, but that, yeah. So in that way, it's just, it's very cheesy. It's very, it's just really like amazing to to realize that, you know, you can kind of do something so DIY and still get um, this like opportunities like that. Yeah. It really, it really does feel very much like um, 
yeah, I just just felt really, really lucky. Um, that's the, you know that said, we are in a position where we can kind of we we have been able to like front money for touring. And I think that's really important to 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 mention because it's not like these things just happen like you know magically. You have enough of, of ability to take a risk of paying a few hundred quid in advance than getting it back like lots of bands just aren't in a position of doing that yeah lots of bands simply can't say okay we'll 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 put this this 200 quid in for this merch run you know and then make it back in the future and so um i, I would say that yeah that is also part you know it's also part of our our story that we haven't you know that i think if we actually studied our trajectory and thought about the, those little moments of financial risk that we were able to take, even if it is like a couple of hundred quid or like getting to like getting to a festival or like hiring a car, yeah, like, those things do really matter. Mm. And then in terms of kind of the, I guess the touring experience, obviously you mentioned that a lot of like your, your early to mid twenties was, was doing the solo stuff. So how has kind of, being on tour with suggested friends differed and how have you kind of what did you learn from doing it solo that you've kind of brought over to now doing it in suggested friends so i think that solo touring i never did it like in a car like always just because i I can't drive okay (laughs) yeah yeah i did i failed Um, in a really like in a really dramatic way so i'm never gonna drive um but i but i so i just like kind of mega bust around okay I, I really like had the stamina to do that in my early twenties and I really just, you know, went for it and kind of but but I couldn't I think being in a band has made me realise that I was really like I was like flagellating myself massively by taking these kind of you know, getting buses in three in the morning or whatever. You know, and I thought at the time that it was this kind of experience that I was like having, you know, this kind of whole life experience, but it was just really, really difficult. And so now I think what I learned from from doing that kind of thing when, um, solo was that having co- some having some comforts on tour are really, really important. So, you know, we try to we try to do everything massively in advance. That yeah. said, I have some <laughs> a lot of things to do for this November tour. But, <laughs> But yeah, we, we just tried to make sure that we've got everything lined up. We've got, you know, we usually take a higher car. Um, things like, you know, if we hadn't had air conditioning in the in the tour in the States, in the car, like, I mean, I mean we'll, we'll probably be dead. So, yeah, <laughs> just, just, just things like that where you're like, okay, actually having some kind of creature comfort is, is conducive to, to your survival. Yeah. And then in terms of kind of within Suggested Friends, like, as you say, kind of get, getting given these opportunities and and obviously now coming on to album number two, like, has there kind of been a point where you've sort of realised, like, oh, people are actually, like, paying attention to us and actually, like, giving a shit about our band kind of thing? Was, is there, was there a particular moment when that kind of light bulb turned on? Yeah, I guess. I guess, like, when we... You know, when we got, inv- I guess, when we got invited to play at End of the Road, and we got invited to play at, at, at Athens, mm. um, like we, that was just really amazing because you just think, my God, like, there there are people like across, like in a different continent, yeah. who, who who kind of care enough about. It's really humbling. It's it's extremely humbling because, the, you know, the thing is, when you're in it, still now, you do feel a bit of this sense of of does anyone care like am i kind of talking to the abyss here like am i it's very very difficult to register um whether people are listening or or paying attention because because everything kind of in the gen in general in the music industry is diy now right so like unless you're essentially you know and and you're signed to a, a kind of a big record label um or you know quite literally just touring all year round it's very difficult to gauge what where you're sort of at and and in a way that's 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 okay because we sh- i don't think that we should be kind of measuring success by these fairly archaic hier- hierarchies anyway right. um but but yeah suffice to say that a lot of the time i'm very unsure <laughs> <laughs> where we're at or what's going on but when things do get like you know today me talking to you like 
or getting a review or being invited to play um, at a festival or something, those moments are just really humbling and kind of amazing because mm. you realise that, oh, okay, perhaps, um, so, you know, some people have listened to it and enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, and obviously at the, at the top of the show, you mentioned obviously currently studying for, for your PhD. And I've, again, the, on this show, I had the chance to speak to people that have, either been in a similar situation to you're in now or they've just finished their PhD and they've then chatted to me or when they've been in extensive tours have been studying when they're touring sort of thing so how have you found balancing academic life and band life <laughs> oh wow <laughs> um what else what can I say so many things to say I mean it's 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 a it's a mess of contradictions this one because on the one hand um having you know I'm a, I'm doing human geography PhD right so I'm not in a lab right um, I mean that I've had a three year in, reliable income that it doesn't tie me to a a schedule okay. so I, so so I have been able to tour like very flexibly and do hell of a lot of, of suggested friends work alongside my my um, my PhD. What I am realizing now is that having an album camp <laughs> release campaign at the same time as um, as writing up in the last two weeks of my, my thesis has is is, is an interesting um, mix <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as a band we're we're kind of um, we're all I mean Jack works um has an office has a like nine to five but he also like does freelance copy editing and emma that's what her work is that she she's a she's a freelance um like science editor like okay. so a lot of the t- a lot of the times on tour we are we sometimes joke that we're at we should start a business called suggested edits because <laughs> we, we all like are on our, a lot of the time like literally like editing uh, on our laptops and stuff um so yeah sometimes it's not all it's not all kind of rages and um and uh you know drunken partying it's not really ever like that well, <laughs> we are we are quite a rage band but um <laughs> yeah but we are we are all sort of trying to fit things in on the road a lot of the time yeah, yeah. And you mentioned earlier, obviously, like kind of being exposed to the the sort of queer DIY scene, specifically in London. But I think the UK in general kind of has this sort of buzzing queer DIY scene at the moment. Whether it's punk, whether it's hardcore, whether it's indie, there seems to be somewhere that that kind of environment is thriving. And yeah. for someone that's kind of within that world, why do you think that it's coming to prominence more now and why do you think that it's such a hive in the UK yeah I don't I honestly don't know I think it's great I just and I and but you know know, partly it's probably because lots of people perhaps like me um kind of grew up in that myspace generation of um you know getting that first taste of of expression um in the in kind of early internet uh, yeah. social networking and then and then i think that really just had quite a big impact on on um identity and and, and artists and, and scenes yeah um and it's well it's certainly it's only different for me and it seems it really seemed to when i started out like um playing music in in ipswich it's that it just really shift it seemed to just really shift things um into this this kind of yeah, into, into what I guess has become more of a yeah has become quite a robust like queer DIY scene, mm. um, and and yeah, I I I I honestly don't really I don't know, but it's great. That's fair enough. Um, well, if we kind of dig into as you mentioned, album two campaign sort of in full swing in some aspects. So, Turtle Taxi, talk talk me through kind of. What kind of themes were you pu- pulling from here? Like, as you mentioned, that the music that you play is upbeat and happy. You yourself said you're you're feeling a lot happier. So, is that kind of an extension through this album? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Turtle <laughs> Turtle Taxi is yeah. It's just this. It's kind of like this big love song about my partner, and um, and so that was kind of like this, this main main kind of recreational sort of play, kind of playful love theme um but throughout 
throughout the album, I think that there are generally just more points of there's like introspection and and kind of confusion, but there's also is there's a really strong theme of recovery in general. Okay. And I also just I guess I, I guess I just feel like at 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 this point where you know I started writing um, some of the songs for this album two three years ago, um, when we we just kind of we just sort of started realizing that we were in a, a very very different political moment um, and, and and global moment to be honest, mm. like in as well. And I think the album is really testament to my feelings. And I think perhaps, perhaps picking up on a wider sense of I'm just sick of I'm sick of this churning of terror, yeah. and I'm sick of a of this churning of of like be scared, be scared, be scared. You know, don't you know? And and I think what's I mean, you know, I don't want to go into my political soapbox here. But <laughs> I feel like that there is a very, there's a very obvious um, way that 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 fear and that feeling of inevitability and that that kind of disarming of agency is useful to the people who are like destroying our planet. Yeah, and, and that actually we kind of I, I wanted to reclaim that sense of you know we are we're all still here doing our thing and like making communities and experiencing love and feeling angry and pissed off but like we're not all we're not it, not everything is driven by just critique you know mm. it's, it's we, we have to move beyond this this idea of just pointing out what's wrong with the world and start kind of think imagining what could what could come after after this moment basically that, yeah. So, yeah on a broad level that's kind of undergirded it um and kind of just on that, because you mentioned sort of those themes of recovery, and I don't know, like, maybe I'm reading too much into what you've just said, but is that kind of a sense of kind of almost like wanting to portray like a sense of, not humanity in recovery, but like almost recovering a sense of self in, as you say, kind of stepping away from fear-mongering and people just getting on with their life sort of thing? Yeah, I think definitely that but also that my kind of awakening around that politically has come at a time where I had quite a lot of revelations about other things that had um, that had occurred in my life and and, and realizing um, that I didn't need to hate myself right. <laughs> and actually didn't need to blame myself and didn't need to be driven in my life emotionally by these feelings and kind of kind of like soaking and <laughs> marinating in that kind of um the, the liberatory aspect of that for me has been very much kind of um imbricated with my and, and kind of connected with, with with a feeling that in general we can sort of dream beyond this this ter- this terrible kind of moment of collapse yeah so, yes yeah, it's definitely been about kind of yeah reclaiming a sense as you say reclaiming a sense of self um reclaiming um yeah just recre- re- reclaiming love for my myself or like just liking myself yeah that's definitely present in a lot of these songs and from the sn- snippets of songs that we have heard like this might just be again me reading into it way too much but this feels like and sounds like there's a more of a confidence not just from yourself but in the band in general from album one to the songs that we've heard so far off this yeah. record do you feel that that's the case that you've kind of i guess over time bands become more confident in their music writing anyway but is there a sense of more of a confidence in like the message and the music that you've written in this album yeah yeah i think um I think with the first album, I mean, we recorded it. We recorded the first album like live over two days, right? And and um, and then I kind of went back and did mixing with Mark um, Jasper, who 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 recorded it. Um, so so we just didn't have any time, and we also <laughs> we also like at that point. I mean, I remember when we recorded the last song on the first album, like you know it was quite stressful because we, we had about like half an hour left of the session and you know there was some there was a little bit of tension about 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 how how to play it and and even though yes even some of the songs on this album were not really even complete were in terms of writing them before we got to the studio there was there was just a longer 
period, a, lot, a, a bit, a, a more robust foundation in terms right. of us playing together, feeling like we kind of knew how to play. Um, like for example, a song like "The Apocalypse" on the album, like we we've, we've been playing that for like more than two years now. So okay. the time we re- we recorded it, it was kind of like you know we felt really really comfortable with it um so and 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 yeah there was also a sense of like hmm you know do we really need to to stick to this kind of scrappy garage rock um identity that we i think that we we sort of um grew around initially and we started thinking well what other instruments could we put on this and how do we really like you know how do we kind of um i don't know fatten up a bit you know like (laughs) I, i really i we we all like we all really love DIY and but we're not ne- we're not really necessarily like super into only listening to like punk music for example yeah. and so we really sat down and thought hey let let's uh, let's put let's put some piano on this like let's go kind of seventies with this or like you know let's put some 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 percussion on this and and bring out some of our other influences and. I've got to bring up the music video for um, for jokes. Yeah. Obviously, focus around your your lovely cat. So, what was the idea behind that? Um, okay, so yeah, as I said, like I'm I'm very very much tied. I'm kind of like tied to my desk right now. Yeah, and I really um, don't have. <laughs> I don't. I might, you know this. You're like the first person I've spoken to <laughs> for uh, for a while. <laughs> um, so just put it that way. Um, so, so yeah, like in terms of um, the, the song, kind of documents a slow process of trying to feel more confident about something, or kind of trying to um, to have some clarity on how you actually feel about something. And I spend so much time with this cat, right? That right. She, she even, she's probably next to me right now actually maybe she just knocked something over um, <laughs> that that like i started sort of seeing my own emotional development like in her yeah. and, and we and kind of realizing that we're on quite an embedded journey together and yeah i just thought hey you know you deserve your 15 minutes of cat fame <laughs> she didn't she didn't really care but you know <laughs> well it's, it's there for all the world to see now so <laughs> Yeah. Perfect. Uh, well, Faith, I've taken up way too much of your, your Sunday afternoon as it is. So um, how I like to, to round things up is to ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So what is your favourite suggested so- uh, friend song that you like to play live and why? Oh, my goodness. Okay, my favourite, I guess the one that pops into my head is The Apocalypse. Yeah. Um, and that is because, that's simply because we've, we've, we've kind of... Um, started doing this thing with it whereby jack starts playing the riff at the beginning and i like introduce it and then after i say a specific phrase um christabel like plays the snare and then it starts okay and i just, and I just think that's such a kind of fun like cheesy <laughs> fun cheesy way of starting the song and i i honestly get such a kick out of it every song every single time i do it it makes me feel like it makes me feel properly like a little i don't know like Pat Benatar <laughs> and it's funny because I'm really not really like that as a person I think that I'm not you know I actually am quite kind of self-conscious and a bit like um I have a, I have a lot of aspirations to be this 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 quite com- confident performer but it's taken me ugh, like two you know at least two years and suggest a friend to even be able to like look audience members in the eye yeah yeah and so now, now we've got this intro. I honestly, I'm like, oh yeah, Faith, you know, you're doing it. You've got, you, 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 you can kind of, I don't know, like, do a little air kick or something. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, Faith, thank you very much for for taking your time out to have a little chat with me. Uh, looking forward to hearing the the whole record in full, and best of luck with the tour in November. Thanks so much, Tim. Cheers. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye.
so there we have it folks a massive thank you again to faith for taking some time out of their day to have a chat with me um as always you can keep up to date with what is going on with suggested friends on all their various social media platforms which will be linked in the description of this episode as per usual um haven't got a whole lot more to add really so i'm going to leave it there really short outro for this week as always we'll be back next tuesday with another guest um got a couple of options lined up so won't guarantee anyone because things could change um but for now thank you again for stopping by the justin insight podcast and i'll see you soon